Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. The word of God for the people of God. On that note, welcome to week two of our new sermon series, When God Hates Religion. If that was a little shocking, it was intended to be. Uh, those of you who weren't here last week, we did something similar with the prophet Isaiah. Uh, so why are we doing a series called When God Hates Religion? Isn't God like the one who invented religion? Isn't God like the one who wants us to be religious and go to church and do all these things? Aren't these things that God just said he hates, the things that he actually commanded his followers to do? Yes, they are. So then why does God say that he hates these things? Why does he say that, the, that these people who are wishing for the day of the Lord are deceiving themselves because they're hoping for a day that's going to be light and joyous and what will actually come if the Lord shows up in their current condition will be darkness and pain? As we looked at last week, we saw that in the Old Covenant, after God had rescued his people out from Egypt, after they had been slaves for 400 years, God called them into covenant with himself, and he gave them a list of rules. He gave them a document, a covenant by which they were to live their lives as the people of God. And in that covenant, God it laid out clearly instructions for proper worship, and he laid out instructions for proper behavior in the community of God, how they were to take care of one another and love one another, and concerns for how they were to establish a community that would demonstrate justice and righteousness. Well, as time went on, as things often do, the, the people who began as the community of God, as they sort of got settled into a rhythm, they began to fall away from God's vision for their community. So at certain times, they stopped worshiping in the way that God told them to worship, and they went and they worshiped the gods of their neighbors and the people who lived in their lands, and they, they stopped worshiping God in the, in the way that he asked them to worship. At other times, they continued to worship God in the way that God told them to worship, but they they, they gave up taking care of one another and establishing justice in their communities. And so when this would happen, God would send a prophet. He would send somebody with a, with a message directly from God to the people to help them, to call them back to faithfulness, to call them to repentance, to restore them to right relationship with God and with one another. <coughs> Excuse me. Last week, we looked at Isaiah. And we saw that God hates religion when it's not accompanied by justice. We saw the prophet Isaiah who lived about 800 years before Jesus. And he, he said something very similar to what we, just said, what we just saw from the book of Amos. And he said that if all of your religious practice is intact and you're doing it right, but you're not establishing justice and taking care of the poor and the vulnerable among you, God hates your religious practice. So we're going to 
continue with that theme today, looking at the prophet Amos. But first, I want to take just a minute and sort of show you what we mean when we talk about biblical justice. Biblical justice. Here's how I define it. Biblical justice is fairness and equality with a particular emphasis on protecting the vulnerable from oppression by the powerful. So it's not only just equity and equality and fairness, but there's a particular concern for those who are vulnerable in the population. Uh, so some of the common groups that we read about in Scripture are the poor, the orphans, the widows, slaves and servants, sojourners or foreigners. We would translate immigrants today. These are the kind of people that were especially prone to being mistreated. And these are the people that God instructed his people that they were to pay particular attention to and watch out for their well-being. Here are some examples. <coughs> would you bring me my water, please? <coughs> this comes from Exodus chapter 23. This is part of God's original covenant with his people. He says in the book of Exodus through Moses to his people, Do not deny justice to your people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. So here we see a concern for justice and a concern for the vulnerable built into their covenant and their instructions for living. Later on, when Moses renews the covenant with them in the book of Deuteronomy, we see something very similar. He says, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. This concern for establishing a community of justice was woven into their instructions for living. And it was just as important, and we're going to see, if not more important, than proper worship practices towards God. If you read through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you will see a concern for justice time and time and time again in these pages. So that brings us now to our opening passage from the book of Amos. Amos was a prophet who was living in uh, the, the southern kingdom. If you're familiar with your, with your Old Testament history, you know that there was a unified kingdom for a period of time. And then after Solomon, the great King Solomon, there was a, there was a split. The, the people had sort of a, sort of a civil war. There was a, a split, and it split into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. So this man named Amos, he lived in the 8th century before Christ, about 800 years before Jesus was born. And originally he was a shepherd. He was a shepherd and he took care of uh, sycamore fig trees. So he was a shepherd and a farmer. But one day God showed up to him and God called him and he said, I need you to go deliver a message to my people up in Israel. So Amos is living in the southern kingdom of Judah. God commissions him and sends him up to the northern people of Israel to deliver a message. Uh, he was the shepherd turned prophet. Uh, so what we need to ask ourselves is why would God tell Amos to go tell these people that their religious practice, the things that God had commended them to do, why would God tell them, tell Amos to tell them that what they were doing were hate, was hateful and detestable in his sight? 
Amos, as we read through the book, it's a short little book. You can probably read it in about uh, 20, 30 minutes if you get home later, maybe a little bit more. Uh, you'll, you can read the whole thing. But Amos gives us some clues as to what's going on in their community that, that caused God to give him this message. Here's one of the things he said in Amos chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He says, For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. This is what's going on in the land of Israel. Even though they are carrying out worship practices and religious practices that they've been instructed to, they are, there's injustice in the land. Some of that is, it says here, they will sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. What does that mean? Well, it means one of two things. It means either that the, the judges, the, those who were called to administer justice, could be bribed for just a little bit of money, a little bit of silver, the price of a pair of shoes, you could bribe a judge to give you a verdict and, and to pervert justice that way. The other thing this might possibly mean is in that culture and in that time, if someone was in debt and they didn't pay their debt, you could actually have that person sold into slavery and, and you could take the, the proceeds from that to pay off the debts. And so what Amos might be getting at here is that somebody who owed you maybe 10 bucks for a pair of sandals, they were selling into slavery. It was just, there was no concern for love, for justice. Uh, people could easily be bribed. A little bit later, Amos tells us, there are those who turn justice into wormwood and cast righteousness to the ground. What does that mean? Well, wormwood was a plant that was known for its very bitter taste. It was a bitter-tasting plant. And so when Amos says that there are those in the land who have turned justice to wormwood, what he's saying is that there are those who have taken this system that was supposed to bring relief to the afflicted, and the leaders had instead taken the system that was supposed to bring relief to the afflicted, and they had, they had turned it to something that left a bitter taste in everyone's mouth. And people began to despise the justice system in ancient Israel. They began to believe that if they went to court, if they had a legitimate grievance, that there would be no real justice, that the, the judges could be easily bribed, that if you didn't have enough money or if you didn't have enough status, you didn't have enough power, that you wouldn't get real justice. And so this caused people to hate the justice system as a whole because it was unfair and it was unequal and it was stacked against the vulnerable. Amos goes on to say a little bit later, he says, you levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Now, this wasn't a condemnation of all taxes. They're not, Amos isn't saying, you know, you shouldn't pay taxes, so don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? You know, I, I know we're past tax season, but I don't want you to, you know, quote this on your next tax return, okay? That's not what <laughs> Jesus said to pay taxes, okay? Uh, here's what's going on. In that culture, in that time period, what would happen is there would often be a wealthy land-owning class who would own a lot of the land, and they would sort of rent out the land for people to farm on. But what they would do is they would, they, somebody who didn't have a lot of means could rent land, 
they would do all of the work. They would do all of the work to farm the land and harvest it. And then they would have to turn over the majority of the harvest to their landowners. Because if not, the landowners could basically just kick them off. This has happened throughout history, all the way back in, in Bible times, all the way through medieval times. This, this disparity between the rich and the poor and the rich who would oppress the poor by exacting from them way more than was a fair amount of rent for the land. That's what it's talking about here. So, so these poor would have to work the land. They, they would do the, the backbreaking work of planting the grains and the crops. They would harvest them. And then they would have to turn over most of those to the rich landowning people. And it would keep these people indebted to them basically for life, just giving them enough to basically survive on. And because of that, it was God viewed this as oppression. This was never God's vision for his people. God's vision for his people was always equality. That everybody would, not, not that there wouldn't be some people who had more and some people who had a little bit less, but that there would, be, there would be equity and there would be no oppression. That there would not be a rich landowning class that would oppress the poor class. But there, there would be equal concern for everybody, including those that nobody else thought should be cared for. The orphan, the widow, the foreigner, so on and so forth. So that brings us back now. We see sort of the background in, in what's going on in the land of Israel, why God has called Amos to deliver this message. So we're going to come back now to the passage we began with. Here's what Amos says to them. He says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. You see, they had been taught because their, their priests and their prophets and their scriptures had told them that there would be a day that God would, would show up among the people. The day of the Lord was when God would, would finally come back and he would, he would work righteousness in the land. And, it, and it's sort of like what we expect as Christians with the return of Jesus. Except they were just expecting the Lord to come for the first time. And so what he's saying is that, that there are these people who are looking forward to the day of the Lord. As many of us look forward to the return of Christ. We hope for that. We think it's going to be a good time. But Amos is telling them, he says, listen, if God were to come back to you right now, it would not turn out very well for you. That's what he means when he says it will be uh, darkness and not light. He's saying you want God to come back, but God cares about the very people that you're oppressing. If God comes back now, it's not going to turn out very well for you. As a matter of fact, he says you think it's going to be a good thing, like a man who escapes a lion only to meet a bear. That's a little scary, right? But what we see here is God's heart for justice. God's heart for those who are vulnerable and poor and oppressed and marginalized. That will be a day of darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. It's terrible. Would not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? Why? Because they had been oppressing the vulnerable in their land. But they said, but God, but God, we've been, we've been doing all of the assemblies that you told us to do. We've been going to church every week, God. And we've been, we've been offering our sacrifices. We've been giving you the best of our lambs and the best of our grain and the best of our wine. And we've been singing songs, God, and having all these festivals. God says, oh, yeah? I hate. I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. When's the last time you smelled something that just made you go, oh, right? 
I mean, uh, there's been, there've been times in my life where we've had like an animal die under the porch and you can't, you know, you don't know what it is until it's like finally rotting and you can just barely walk up to the house. And you're just like, oh, what is that? That's what God says these assemblies were like to him while they were trying to worship God but forsaking justice in the land. But, but God, we brought you so many offerings, so many, our, our best animals and our best grain. God says, even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. God, I've been, I've been tithing faithfully my whole life. I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. So the, the, well, what do we do, Lord? If, if these religious practices aren't pleasing you, what will we do to, to bring you, to please you? What, what do you want us to do, God? How do, we, how do we make things right? Here's what God says. Let justice roll. Let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. God says, you want to please me? Take care of the vulnerable in your midst. Get rid of the corruption. Balance the scales. When you start taking care of one another again, then maybe come back to church. Then maybe start bringing your tithes and your offerings. Maybe then I'll listen to your songs. But until then, I don't want anything to do with it, God says. You want to please me? He says, let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Last week, the bottom line from Isaiah is the same as the bottom line from Amos, and it's this. God hates religion when it's not accompanied by justice. He doesn't just like it a little bit less. He doesn't just tolerate it. It stinks to him. Unless it's accompanied by real and genuine justice. So now you might be thinking, okay, Thomas, we are not ancient Israel, right? What in the world does this have to do with us? It's a good question. Right? We, we, we live ages from then. Our society is very different than theirs. It, 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 there's, there's worlds apart between us and them. That's true. But Amos is describing a society where the scales of justice had been imbalanced and tipped in favor of the wealthy and the powerful. For some of you, this next statement will come as a shock. For some of you, this next statement will come as, well, duh. So, um, we live in a society where the scales of justice are imbalanced, where they are tipped in favor of people who look like me. White, financially secure, male. For some of you, this may come as a surprise to hear that our justice system is actually imbalanced. If it comes as a surprise to you, you're probably in a category that something looks like me. You may be white, financially secure, maybe male. Our justice system in America is demonstrably stacked against minorities and the poor. I'll say that again. Our justice system in America is demonstrably stacked 
against minorities and the poor. Studies have shown, and I've seen this firsthand, how things like a minor fine, like a traffic ticket or a speeding ticket or, or a fee, can be the beginning of a, a, a snowball that just snowballs somebody into a downward spiral of financial ruin if they don't have enough money to initially cover the fee. There's great, there's great resources on this. If you want to read more about it, I, I can give these to you. But that if you're poor and something happens, it, it just snowballs you. Whereas for, for most of us, if, you know, if we get a parking ticket or a traffic ticket, we just pay it off and we're fine because we have enough money to do that. But if we don't, that can just snowball and snowball and the fees, they just catch up. And, and the people are then behind for years and years and years and it ruins them. Our, our system is stacked against the poor. And I, 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 I read the studies and I've seen this firsthand with people that I know. How about this? Every week there are new videos of police officers brutalizing unarmed people. Every week I see a new video uh, of cops who, who are just either beating the heck out of or shooting people who are unarmed and pose no real threat. And most of the white Christians that I see usually side with the police officers, even in clear cases of police brutality. And often, oftentimes, most of the time that I've seen, these police officers get off with no consequences whatsoever. There was a case just the other week where somebody was fired for police brutality in one precinct. They moved on to the next precinct and got rehired doing the exact same thing. How about this? Uh, did you know that in our population, whites and blacks use drugs at approximately the same rate, about the same percentage of whites use drugs as blacks? That's, that's been demonstrated. But did you know that blacks are arrested, prosecuted, and sentenced three to four times more often than whites? Our justice system, if you're white, you are more likely to get away with doing drugs than you are if you're black. Our justice system is not blind. Did you know that uh, a rich white college student who raped a young woman was sentenced to only six months in prison because the judge didn't want to mess up his future potential? And yet a 15-year-old black boy who stole a pair of shoes was sentenced to five years in prison? Does that sound like balanced justice system to you? It doesn't to me. It doesn't sound like the, the scales are balanced. Right now, as we speak, children are literally being ripped from their parents at the border and held in cages. These are often people who are fleeing violence in their home countries, looking for a safe place to come. And they show up here and we rip children and parents apart. They're seeking asylum. They're doing it in many cases legally. But whether it's legal or not, Jesus always shows us that compassion is more important than law. But in, any, in many cases, this is even when they're coming here, doing the right thing and legally presenting themselves for asylum. Last month, a family showed up seeking asylum from a, a Central American country where there was violence and they were trying to escape the violence. They show up here seeking asylum and a three-year-old boy was literally ripped from his father's arms. Nearly a month later, having not heard any word of the, the status of his family, he killed himself in prison. Legally seeking asylum. Did you know that there was a, a, a 
teenage boy who was brought here from Mexico by his parents when he was just a little boy, just a young boy. America was all he ever knew. He grew up in Iowa. He was about ready to graduate high school. And because of some changes in laws, he was deported back to Mexico, even though he didn't know anybody there. He had never been there in, in the life that he could remember. And he was murdered three weeks later. Now you might be thinking, but Thomas, this is America. This is, this is not ancient Israel. We are not a theocracy. You're right. We're not a theocracy. We do not, uh, and I believe that we should not base our national legislation on the teachings of the Bible. We are a place for people of all religions and no religion, and I get that. But do you know who in America... Do you know which group of people is most opposed to allowing refugees to enter the United States? White Christians. By far. White Christians are the most anti-refugee group in America today. Now, mind you, these are many of the same people who think that we should make a law that keep gay people from getting married because the Bible says so. Right? So these aren't people who, who these are people who say that America is a Christian nation. I, I hear that all the time. But Thomas, we're a Christian nation. We should base our, our laws off the Bible, and yet they oppose taking care of the foreigner and the refugee, the very people that God says that he's concerned about. So while I agree that we're not a theocracy, while I agree that we should not be basing our laws off the Bible because we need to be a land that's welcoming to people of all religions and no religions, there is no excuse for Christians to actively support laws and justice systems and people who pervert justice. From the Old Testament to the New, from the prophets to Jesus, the thing that remains consistent. Do you, you know what changed between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Religious practices, how we worship. We don't sacrifice animals anymore. We don't have the same kind of assemblies. You know what remained the same? Love for neighbor and a concern for justice. And in America, it is people who look like most of us in this room, white Christians, who are the most supportive of laws and systems that are demonstrably stacked against the vulnerable and the marginalized. It's not just that they happen without our power to do anything about them. They happen because people who look like us, who go to church every Sunday, support these kinds of laws and vote for people who tell us that they are going to implement these kinds of laws and tell their congresspeople that they want a wall and other things at the border. So I've got a question. How do you think God feels about our religious worship when we not only allow but support this kind of injustice in our land? If the same God who told Amos and Isaiah and as we'll see later Jeremiah and Micah and then later Jesus and then James... The same God who told all of them that religious worship apart from justice is detestable in his sight. How do you think he feels about religious worship in America when we are the ones primarily who oppose the kind of justice that God envisions? So I'm going to leave you 
with that question. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite Mandy and Austin to come up and sing, but I want you to, I'm not, I'm not going to answer that. I just want you to think about it in the, in the weeks to come as we consider when God hates religion. Lord, we, we know that you are a God who sides with the oppressed every time. You're a God who hears the cry of those who are mistreated and abused and abandoned and marginalized. We know that you take their side, that you fight for them. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for a God who loves all of us, even those that society deems unlovable and unworthy. So Father, I, I pray that you would help us in our hearts if we are, if we are living in a way that is allowing or supporting injustice, that I, I pray that you would convict us. Father, I pray that you would, if needed, that you would bring us to our knees so that we can grasp, really grasp your vision for a community of the people of God that champions for the rights and the equality of all people, and especially the marginalized. God, we follow your son, who was often homeless who was himself the victim of state-sanctioned violence, and he did so all for love on our behalf. So, Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, I pray that you would make our hearts to, to, to feel for these people. I pray that you would inspire us and encourage us to, 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 more, to, to live more self-sacrificially, to pour ourselves out, in service, not just to you, God, but to our neighbor. Because through your son, Jesus, you have taught us that our love for you is really measured by our love for our neighbor, by our love for our enemy, by our love for all people. So, Father, if, if you need to break our hearts, then break our hearts. If you need to stir us up, then stir us up. Whatever you need to do, God, help us to be a people of God that bears witness to your love and also to your justice. May we be champions of those who need champions. May, may the love of Jesus for all people radiate through us. And Father, if, if we need you to break us to get us there, then break us to get us there. But I pray that you would get us there however you need to. May the words of these prophets prick our hearts, and stir us to good works. In Jesus' name, amen.